On the edge of a fen, fireflies light the misty air. Down beneath the rootwa lies my den, my lair. The filtered moonlight trickles down through the branches of the trees, shining on the Spanish moss that's swaying in the breeze. All the frogs go silent as I go passing by. Even the nighthawks, they stifle their cries. While the alligator sleeps in his duckweed pond, I silently lap up water, then I swiftly abscond. There's mud in my veins and muck in my arteries. My breath is like sulfur, keeps away the mosquitoes and fleas. My teeth are sharper than green briar thorns. My heart is the place where bitterness is born. At daybreak, the red-winged blackbirds sing of my misdeeds as they flit and flap and fly around in the cattail reeds. They sing, Swamp and Wolf, don't let the darkness engulf. There's someone that you need to find. They sing, Swamp and Wolf, don't let the darkness engulf. You need someone to change your mind. You need someone to open your mind. Hey, welcome to the Swamp and Wolf podcast. This is your host, Chris Garza. And um, I have an interview today. It's my friend, Becca Orff. Um, I know in the last episode I talked about maybe doing... Um, a Christmas episode where I got people's, you know, mushroom Christmas stories, but that didn't end up panning out. You know, it's past Christmas anyway when I'm releasing this, so it just didn't make a lot of sense to do it. Um, I did get some some people's mushroom stories that were fun. I don't know, maybe I'll be able to collect and compile them uh, for next year and actually release it before Christmas. But instead, what you're getting is just a normal episode, uh, just an interview. Uh, but not just an interview. It's my best friend, Becca Orff. So let's get into it. Hey, welcome to the Swamp and Wolf podcast. This is Chris, and I'm sitting here with my friend, Becca Orff. Hi. Uh, Becca, do you want to share a little bit about yourself? Um, I, <laughs> <laughs> that feels like such a loaded question. Um, I, yeah, I, and I don't even want. know like what to, you know, usually people talk about their profession or whatever, but I am just kind of scrappy. Um, I'm native Austinite. Um, I, uh, have a degree in biology. I'm a photographer. I like spending time outside. Um, yeah. And I have like three jobs, yeah. <laughs> at least three jobs. <laughs> yeah. And we can plug your photography at the end. <laughs> sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, and then I think, I don't know, the way we met, I want to hear what you think, because I feel like I always tell the story maybe differently than you. I feel like, I feel like the exact time that we met is just not that important, you know? <laughs> like, we met because I was playing the song Samson on piano in the dorm that Chris lived in. He was a year younger than me, and, uh, and lived in, um, a dorm on my, at my university that I didn't live in, but I went over there because there was a piano in the, in the room there. Uh-huh. 
Um, but like we didn't, it was just, that was like maybe the time that we first met. Mm -hmm. I remember seeing you in Moody Hall with uh, your then girlfriend, Lisa, mm -hmm. and telling Lisa that she looked like Joanna Newsom. <laughs> uh, you told her that. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and then, but we weren't really friends until uh, the ecology trip, really. The ecology trip? Yeah. What was that? Yeah. Before Minnesota? Yeah. It was okay. right before Minnesota. That okay. was spring of 2010. Okay. We were all in that class together. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's what I remember, but yeah, for some reason I feel like you told the story of, like, meeting me, uh, <laughs> like, through our degree, and you, it seemed like you had forgotten about the piano thing. <laughs> yeah, well, the, I mean, because I feel like we weren't, like, we were not friends with the piano thing. It was just like, yeah. oh, hi, you're this person who's friends with these, these twins, and was it Olga, the, uh -huh. the other girl? yeah. Yeah, and then we also worked at the same ice cream store, right? Yeah. Um, well, kind of. We worked at the same <laughs> business, but at different locations, right? Were you at you... Super South or Westgate? I was at um, the one across from St. Ed's. Yeah, Super South. I was there, but I must have moved to somewhere else because you're. I thought you moved Trish. to like. Yeah, man, I hardly even remember, like the people I worked with. I mean, I Trish remember had... Zeke, and I remember. Some other folks. Sculptor Bobby Keeler. Yeah, because we saw him at the in the desert. What? <laughs> Sculptor or Adam Keeler. Who is that? Oh, um, oh, this sounded so weird. So the sculptor. We, what we, was it? We call him Sculptor Bobby. Um, because <laughs> Sculptor his, Bobby Keeler. Yeah. So at Amy's <laughs> to um, to get hired at Amy's, you didn't need to send in a resume. Mm -hmm. you, they gave you a white paper bag mm -hmm. that looks like a takeout bag from fast food or something and they told you to make something out of it and bring it back mm -hmm. and just write your name and phone number on it um mm -hmm. and so do you remember what you did with your bag yeah i made a diorama it was a western themed diorama <laughs> that's uh, so perfect it, it was like you know cowboys and i drew like Clint Eastwood and John Wayne on it and stuff, and, and uh, in the Could background. Could you tell that it was Clint Eastwood and John Wayne? I think so. I think I did a pretty good job. Nice. Yeah. What about you? What was your... You know, what I did was so... So basically, I had made like... It was like um, a picture of me wearing a cow suit with all these kind of like doors on me that you could open, and behind each door was something that I felt was uh, like an aspect about myself uh -huh. or something yeah so you could like open all these doors um and see inside like you know pictures of plants which i guess checks out mm -hmm. um but yeah I, that's the only one that i really remember was the plant one um mm -hmm. and then and i turned that in mm -hmm. to super south because okay. that's where i first started working and then i went home waited maybe five days or something and i was like oh that was so dumb i should do something else so I was like, I'm going to make a lamp out of it. Like, <laughs> I can make a lamp out of it, you know, yeah. like a really cool uh, lamp with some batteries. And anyways, I, it wouldn't have been really cool. It would have just been like a kind of shitty lamp, but it would have worked. Yeah. Um, so, and it wouldn't have needed to plug in or whatever. Like I was, you know, I had this like big plan in my head 
And I walked back in and I was like, hey, um, I had applied for a job here earlier. And then, and Poet was behind the counter and he was like, yeah, I'd been meaning to call you back because, uh, you know, I wanted to interview you because we would like to hire you. Uh-huh. So I was like, oh, well, okay. So I never wound up making the other thing that I was going to make for them. But yeah. Yeah. How long did you work there? So I actually started in Houston. I started at the Houston location. Whoa. And then I transferred to Austin. So I worked in the summer after my freshman year. Mm-hmm. And then I started up in Austin once, you know, the summer was over. Um, and I don't know. I don't know if I made it in, like, full semester. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I don't know. Did you hate it? No, I didn't hate it. I did get, like, burned out on ice cream for a long time. This is Amy's ice creams. I don't know if we ever officially said it. Yeah, <laughs> so we're talking about is if y'all, if y'all are familiar like with there, Amy's ice there creams. There was a lot of like sorted stuff. <laughs> like I wanted to talk to you about um, about our manager who had like these. Uh, all I really knew about her was that she had these tattoos of cupcakes on her neck. Do you uh-huh. remember that? This is Trish. Uh huh. I don't feel like I ever really worked with her. Maybe so like she might have been my boss, but I don't know that I ever really spent any time with her. Yeah. So, no, I don't yeah, really remember. I, I didn't, uh, I didn't, never spent time with her, because I basically, when Poet moved over to Westgate, then I did, too. Okay. So, yeah. yeah. Poet was just an awesome manager, and I, yeah, yeah, I liked working with Zeke. Do you remember Cameron Haykla? Uh-huh, yeah. I remember Cameron. Cameron yeah. and Zeke. Uh-huh. They were pretty close, it seemed like. Yeah, and then, uh, was it Aslan? Mm-hmm. Aslan? Yeah, yeah, he was, he was cool. Yeah, I wonder whatever happened to him. <laughs> he was kind of amazing, like... He would bring into the ice cream store a whole bag of Hershey's Kisses, uh-huh. very carefully unwrap all of them, uh-huh. and then put them in a blender with ice cream and milk and, <laughs> and drink the entire thing. <laughs> it, just, it just seemed like a really bad plan, but he was a lacrosse player, so I guess he just burned it all off. It just I just remember being horrified. Like That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> an entire bag of Hershey's Kisses with ice cream. Um, and, okay, do we need to talk more about sculptor Bobby Keeler? Is that his name? Uh, yeah, well, he was actually the first person who ever told me, like, you should read Jack Kerouac. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's all, like, that was all I really, I mean, and he, you know, I, I know that the the rumor had it that basically everybody thought he was very attractive. Okay. And that was potentially why he was I don't really him. remember him. I probably would remember his face if I saw it. Well, we, we saw ran him. into him in yeah. the desert? Yeah, we ran into him at uh, the Tom's Van Zandt Tribute Concert last oh. year. Oh, last year? Yeah. <laughs> yes, and he recognized you. <laughs> it was Adam Keeler. He started talking to you. He had like a, a lady with him or something. Adam Keeler? Isn't it Adam Keeler? What's I don't name? know. I thought you said Bobby Keeler. I mean, we yeah, we call him Sculptor Bobby because <laughs> his what he had made with his bag to get a job was this kind of beautiful tree. He had, like, taken the bag and, like, twisted, like, torn it up and twisted these parts of it to where it was, like, this kind of, like, naked oak tree. Okay. Um, and it was beautiful. Okay. Yeah, I think I know who you're talking about. When you say Adam, but when you say Bobby, I'm like, <laughs> we, what the hell we, is going on? That was like his weird code. Basically, you know, like he came in, he dropped the tree off. Trish was like, that's the most gorgeous man I've ever seen. And I definitely want to hire him. Uh-huh. And, um, and we just 
they called him like Sculptor Adam because he had sculpted this tree out of paper or whatever. But, uh -huh. um, but for some reason they called him Sculptor Bobby. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, so basically we met, but we didn't become friends until this trip in, in ecology class. And um, yeah, our professor took us on a spring break trip and uh, we just stayed at people's houses that he knew. It was so cool. We stayed <laughs> at his brother's house and, and, and his son's house. And what, a previous professor. Yeah, a former professor's house in Nebraska. Uh-huh. So he just took us all over the U.S. <laughs> kind of in, in one week and... He didn't really have a plan. He was just kind of winging it along the way, is what he told me. Part of the... He wanted us to see the Sandhill Cranes in Nebraska. Yeah, I mean, he was like... I was. I didn't really have any big ecology lessons. I was yeah. just like in a... You know, wanted to hang out. <laughs> just going to pull over randomly whenever I saw something I could <laughs> lecture on. And, yeah. then, and then, you know, we'd go on our way. And That was just like one of the super magical things about St. Edwards, basically. Yeah, I mean, Dr. Quinn... I'd love to get him on the podcast. That someday. would be really cool. But he, God, he was so great. Like just his, his personality and his uh, enthusiasm for biology, but also just like for people. It seemed like he just really recognized the human aspects of everything mm -hmm. that he did, and and really honored that. Yeah, in he spite was, of being a science professor. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, later on, whenever I asked him about that trip, he was like. My goal with that trip was to have all of y'all become friends by the end of it. And a lot of us did. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, yeah, so I guess that summer we worked for the U.S. Forest Service together mm -hmm. in, in the Boundary Waters of Minnesota. Um, and... And we became more friends there. But then we didn't... I feel like we didn't talk or hang out for, like, five years after that. Maybe, maybe longer. Yeah, so was it right after Minnesota we kind of stopped talking or just after St. Ed's? feels like, I mean, when did you graduate? Uh, 2011. Okay. Then, because I, I graduated at the end of 2010, like December 2010. And okay. I feel like, I, I don't remember really seeing you after Minnesota. Yeah, that's a good point. And then I randomly invited you out to, I was trying to do like a reunion party of Minnesota folks. So I got like, I tried to get Julie and Ronnie out to go hang out with us. We were going to go to karaoke in Austin and then oh, go jump yeah. in a swimming pool. Uh -huh. <laughs> but then like Mike Satcher was there and uh, I probably shouldn't be saying <laughs> Basically there was like a weird bar fight and we were not the drunk people there. Uh -huh. <laughs> we all just like, it was just weird. Yeah. I hardly remember that night. I think that was the day, the next day I um, was driving back to College Station. No, I think that might be a different when you forgot your jacket? Is that when I forgot my jacket? That was when you forgot your jacket. Is that when I ran with... Uh, yeah, with uh, Derek. In yeah. the morning? Did you... I think that's the day I'd, I'd uh, gotten an accident on my way back to College Station. Oh, yeah. Um, it was, it was a hydroplaning, and uh, I, like, started hydroplaning into oncoming traffic. Oh, my gosh. And they say, like, don't correct, you know? Yeah. But I was like, well, fuck this. Like, I'm not going to just go with it because I'm going <laughs> yeah. into oncoming traffic. So I, like, started to correct for it. And it sent me just swerving uh, off the highway and uh, through a cattle fence and in the middle of a, in the middle of a 
cattle field and uh I got out of my car to kind of assess the, the situation you know I'd like spun around like three times oh and I closed the door um and apparently my driver's door was the only one that was unlocked but I had hit that driver door on the fence and the handle wasn't working to let me back in oh, no. <laughs> and it was raining and cold and oh some guy uh pulled over and like let me call the cops from his phone and like let me sit in his car until the cop showed up oh. and the cop showed up and then we had to wait in the cop I had to wait in the cop car until he called another cop who could get a Slim Jim to open my car. Oh, <laughs> and my car's running the whole time yeah. too. It's just oh, like sitting gosh. in this field like running. <laughs> Was the car okay? Uh yeah, it actually worked fine. I just couldn't get into the driver's door anymore. Yeah. So I had to like yeah. crawl in through the, the passenger side. Did you ever get it fixed? No, I ended up just trading it in and getting a different car. But oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That sounds, considering you were hydroplaning into oncoming traffic, I'm glad that you got out of that okay. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, so there was that time that we saw each other. Was that, were you thinking this five years or? That was in 20. That couldn't have been five years. 14 or so. That was in 20, 2013 or 2014. Really? Yeah. And. And then we started doing the Big Bend. Yeah, that happened because you were still on Facebook, and I mentioned Tom Van Zant in one of my <laughs> in one of my things because I had been to Big Bend and serendipitously just happened to be in an area that where there was like a Tom Van Zant tribute open mic. Yeah, which we're gonna miss this year. Yeah, which um, which you is know fine, might not even be happening this year. Yeah, that's true. I mean, probably not the Tom Van Zant tribute concert, but the we're missing out on the West Texas tradition. Yeah, yeah. Just too bad. Yeah. But yeah, so I mentioned Tom Van Zandt on Facebook and Chris commented and I had I had known like as soon as I went to that concert I was like, This is something that I should tell Chris about. I think you did directly tell me. I'm I may have, but I think that you had also said like, What is this about? And I said, This is you know, you should show up next year and and he did and then and then we started hanging out more. Like, you came yeah. up to visit me in Minnesota in the yeah. tiny house. and Yeah, after that, I was like, oh, we're, we're friends. We're buds. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know. Yeah, I, we were I, climbing I, together. Yeah, we were going climbing together. I don't know. I'll call you pretty often, too. Yeah, yeah. Just you, chat. <laughs> you have been doing a good job of that. I feel like I'm, like, in my own little world a lot of the time, and I feel like you, you know, a, a lesser... A lesser person would have just given up on <laughs> trying to maintain contact with me. Well, I really do think of you, like, as, uh, I don't know, I kind of think of you as, like, my best friend. Yeah, cool. <laughs> Good. Um, that makes me happy. I feel like I should do a better job of, uh, of being responsive. In no, case. it's fine. I think you're doing fine. I don't Good. think I need a lot, uh, but you're also probably, like, one of my longest friendships We've like known each other I, for a while. I feel like I don't have any like elementary or middle school or high school friends I have I have like a college friend and that's you <laughs> <laughs> um most of the people who I still talk to from college were on that trip that ecology trip, trip yeah. yeah and by most of I mean you Julie I guess Ben and I aren't really talking anymore but yeah yeah 
Um, but yeah, we've known you. We've been friends for ten years. That's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So one thing that Becca <clears throat> did on the New Year's trips too is like, um, you would take us all to the hot springs, and we watch <laughs> the we'd watch the sunrise from the hot springs. <laughs> And I'm going to make that come true this year, too. Not quite a hot spring, but uh, Tom and I are going to um, boil some water and fill up some kiddie pools oh. and place them out on the Manila lawn. <laughs> and we're going to watch the sunrise from, oh. from the Manila lawn in some heated heated kiddie pools. <laughs> what's, what's the Manila lawn? It's, uh, the Manila is like a, it's a museum of modern art. Um, and he lives right by it. That's so. what y'all are doing for New Year's? <laughs> yeah. That's so cute. Well, I he... should try to watch the sunrise, the first sunrise of 2021. <laughs> seems Yeah, seems I mean, you're welcome to come join us. <laughs> you may have to bring your own kitty pool. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, yeah, I don't know what... I, I know that I've got like a couple of random plans, but I okay. don't know what's actually going to pan out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it would be nice to get in some water and watch the sunrise. That sounds perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to go see my friend Kate, who used to go with me to Big Bend, because um, she's in... Is this the one that was in New Mexico? Yeah. Okay. She's in Louisiana now. Okay. And, um, and so we were going to meet halfway, but halfway between here and there is Houston, and I feel like all the water in Houston is going to be alligator infested, so I don't know. <laughs> I yeah. don't know what we're going to be able to do. That's not necessarily true. <laughs> you can find some non-alligator Oh, wait, because are you and Tom going to be in Houston? Yeah. Huh. <laughs> I wonder if I could get uh if I could get Kate to come out and boil some water in some uh in some weird pond. Yeah, I should talk to her about that. Yeah, it could be fun. That sounds fun. Um Yeah, well, uh so let's get into the pandemic and your most recent brush with Yes. Uh, brush with death <laughs> which it didn't it didn't necessarily feel like I was um like I was gonna die but the, I'd say that there were some there were some interesting scary parts or whatever so yeah and the other interesting thing about it is that a lot of so basically I, I had coronavirus I got coronavirus um at the end of October and I had it for several weeks um and it is interesting that so many people who have had it like wind up managing to find each other and we all just compare notes <laughs> which is interesting uh -huh. um so the the first thing that happened to me was just getting like a it was a really bad stomach ache right like yeah and like a little bit of nausea and i just didn't want to eat anything like i don't know i i like felt like i was gonna have diarrhea or something um and I felt like I was going to puke, but honestly, I was in, I was riding passenger in a car and I just get horrible car sickness anyway. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I was like, maybe this is like food poisoning or something. Like, I don't know. But, but compared to all of the like gross stuff I usually eat, everything that I'd eaten for the last 24 hours before that was really tame, like thoroughly cooked fish and, um, and steamed vegetables and stuff, you know, like not, not 
I mean, usually I will be eating like raw meat or gas station food or yeah. <laughs> something. Like I'll eat gross or things I found in the trash. Like the <laughs> the fish was thoroughly cooked. It was caught by a friend of a friend, you know, and had been frozen and everything. And two other people had eaten the exact same thing and they weren't sick. So, um, yeah. So I was just like, this is a weird time for me to be getting food poisoning considering most of what I eat is so much iffier and grosser than what I just ate. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so I just like felt sick like that, um, went to bed and I remember that I was like, I, my stomach hurt a lot, you know, I went to bed and I was kind of like, kind of writhing in pain about it. <laughs> just mm-hmm. like, this does not feel good. Mm-hmm. Woke up the next day and my stomach felt mostly better, but, uh, but I felt like weirdly hung over. Mm-hmm. I was like, why? Like my head hurts. Um, and I feel like kind of clammy, but I don't, I, you know, I don't know why. Maybe it's just because I didn't get enough sleep last night because I was in pain or, or what. Maybe I just need more coffee today. And I took my temperature because I was like, you know, this, I do feel kind of clammy. Like maybe, maybe I've got a fever or something. Took my temperature. It was normal. And then, uh, later that day, like in the evening of that day, I started developing a dry cough. You know, mm-hmm. like they, they always talk about the dry cough and, and then when I developed the dry cough, I was like, oh no. And, and I, uh, I was staying in a tiny house out, uh, basically like on a friend's piece of property all by myself. And I was, uh, going to talk to them the next day, but like it was, it was around like 11 at night or something when I realized like this cough is probably a problem. And then I was like, well, a lot of people who get COVID also lose their sense of smell too. Mm-hmm. Um, which is also, that is like the cheapest sort of COVID test. If you just like every day, you just wake up and see if you can smell things. <laughs> and if you can't, then that's a problem, you know? Yeah. So I, is uh, that usually that's, I feel like that's one of the first symptoms, right? Yeah. That's what they say. Oh, yeah. Um, like you'll, you'll stop being able to smell things before you get super sick. So, but I could smell things like all during the day, you know? And then when I developed the dry cough, I was like, dry cough that's classic COVID so I'm gonna see if I can smell things and I couldn't smell anything really and yeah and then I went to bed and when I woke up the next day I was like sick sick <laughs> could you taste things yes so it was very weird um it was actually like I guess that if I was if I was to choose any of the five senses to lose forever I would choose to lose taste because I just don't think it's very important <laughs> and I thought that I would choose to lose smell but having no sense of smell was hilarious and fascinating um but it was also a hassle um because like i use my sense of smell to i'm i'm gross but i use my sense of smell basically to like smell test food that i'm about to eat if it's leftovers or something Mm -hmm. then i smell it to know like okay this is still good even though it's like uh you know when i i didn't have a sense of smell for at least five days if not a week um when i got coronavirus and it wasn't like I could breathe just fine. You know how you feel like you can't smell anything when you're sick because you're stopped up or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like I could breathe okay. I, there was no, you know, my cough was dry. I didn't have a runny nose or anything. I was breathing just fine, but I just couldn't smell at all, mm. like at all. <laughs> and I would test it with multiple things all day. You know, I remember um, I would put like like Vicks Vapor Rub or um, or like a salad or freshly baked bread like up right to where it could touch my nose, you know, and it just, 
I could feel it on my nose, but I couldn't smell anything. Wow. And it was hilarious. It's so hard to, hard to I imagine. Know. It I was can't trippy. Really, I can't really imagine what that's like. It was, but you know that some people are just born that way. Have you met people who like have no sense of smell? Not that I'm aware of. It. Okay. It's not something that has come up. Yeah. I, guess. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I heard a podcast once where somebody was talking about it and they thought that smell was just something that people talked about as like a feeling or whatever because they didn't have a sense of smell interesting and then they're they were in like, in like kindergarten or something and their teacher talked about um was like having everybody close their eyes and smell things and this girl got everything wrong because mm-hmm. <laughs> she didn't actually have a sense of smell <laughs> they like had a vanilla candle and she's like it smells like money (laughs) so like that was how she knew but um and then i i wound up floating the grand canyon with somebody who didn't have a sense of smell and he said i mean he said that basically like he didn't get what the big deal was about farts like why everybody hated them (laughs) because he couldn't smell them um (laughs) but he also said that the only time that he was able to smell something was when he was on mushrooms once really yeah, and I feel like mushrooms is, is such a synesthetic thing anyways that, uh-huh. like, you probably feel like you, you know, what he thought of as smell on mushrooms may not have been actual smell. Right. But at the same time, it could be, like, m- putting a connection somewhere in his brain where it was actually working. Yeah, who knows? So, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if there's a good way to test <laughs> No, no. Or maybe there is. That's, I mean, Blindfold maybe. them. And, yeah, exactly. If he... And be like, can you smell this? And what yeah. Yeah. But then he wouldn't be able to compare it to anything, though. Well, right? but if you smelled... So you could blindfold him uh-huh. and then let him smell an orange okay. and let him smell, um, you know, I don't know, a vanilla candle or whatever. And then, and then say, like, this is an orange, this is a vanilla candle. And then you blindfold him and say, like, which one are you smelling now? You know? Okay, yeah. So. Yeah, I guess that works. Yeah, that would be a way to test it. But that, yeah, that seemed fascinating. But I'm I'm not in contact with him anymore, so I haven't been able to... <laughs> that would be really interesting if um that helped but anyways so yeah so I couldn't smell anything it was the the adventures that I had with that were that I was I had some peppers that I had cooked like a week before and they were in the fridge and normally I would just smell them and eat them and because they were cooked peppers so I couldn't tell if like they were going bad or whatever visually um but I couldn't smell them when I tried to smell them. And I was like, my body's already dealing with enough right now. I don't want to eat rotten peppers. So I threw them away, which I would never usually do. Mm-hmm. Um, usually I smell test my laundry. If I like, you probably do a lick test. <laughs> I totally, well, I, cause I could taste, but, but taste and smell are super related too. Yeah. You know? So I feel like that's kind of why I'm surprised you're able to taste. Yeah. Just, it just made taste different. Really, you know? like certain it, things like, you could only lost probably in the yeah, taste. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So you, yeah, and I remember I ate some salad that seemed like it was going bad, um, and it was like a cabbagey salad, so it tasted a little kimchi-ish. But I had smelled it and been like, "This is probably fine." And then as I was eating it, I was like, "There's something weird about this," <laughs> but I can't grasp the entire flavor, so whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, usually I'll smell my clothes before I put them in the laundry too, and be like, "Okay, this hoodie." is done or whatever but instead I just put all my clothes in the laundry because I was like I can't tell I feel like I 
I have these like images of you smelling things in my head, like <laughs> being out camping with you and, and you just smelling things. I rely on it so much. Yeah. I didn't realize how much I relied on it. And I think, you know, I know that um, people with like gas stoves, like the whole reason that you can smell propane and stuff is, mm -hmm. is to alert you that there's a leak. Mm -hmm. Um, which seems really handy. Like they, they artificially like yeah. make it smell right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that seemed important. Even my car, like sometimes I'll smell something weird in my car and be like something, you know, Either, smells like yeah. burning plastic or exactly. burnt rubber or whatever. So yeah, um, it was, it felt like kind of dangerous, kind of inconvenient. Um, it, my appetite completely tanked. Like I feel like I was eating a can of soup every day and that was it. And wow. I think part of that was because I couldn't smell so uh, so I just didn't have that sort of trigger about like wanting to eat mm -hmm. um, and it and it wasn't super enjoyable um, a cool thing about it was that I usually <laughs> I um, I wound up my friends were out of town so I was um, which was nice because then I could kind of like use their house too um, instead of just the tiny house that I was staying in but one of their cats pooped on the carpet uh -huh. which is disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> and, Cat poop is so smelly. Yeah, it's awful. <laughs> but, and like, I don't do very well with, um, with cat or dog shit. Like, yeah. I just don't, you know, I, I, I'm not a fan. <laughs> so like, you know, usually if I would like go and walk, um, a friend's dog or something and I'd have to pick up their poop, um, I, I gag every time I do it. <laughs> so, so I, uh, so I was like not looking forward to it, but at the same time, I couldn't smell it, and that made the entire experience so easy. Like yeah. it was not even it was barely a gross experience. <laughs> yeah. So what you're saying is when we can figure out a way to like turn off an on smell. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the switch. <laughs> that'll be that'll be really nice. I guess so. <laughs> um. Yeah. Um, other than that, so yeah, my other symptoms, when I woke up and I was really sick, um, it was mostly just exhaustion. Like I slept all day that day um, mm -hmm. and I, I went in to get a coronavirus test, mm -hmm. but like the way I was in Montana and the way it was set up was that I would have to, um, I, I called one of the urgent care clinics and I was like, Hey, can I um, come in for a test? And they were like, okay, are you out in the parking lot right now? And I was like, no, I'm in my bed <laughs> they were like okay we'll call us when you're out in the parking lot and you yeah. know we'll put you on the list and i was like okay and then i just like fell asleep for a few hours woke up around noon or so and then drove out to um to the clinic and they were full i like called them again and i was like hi i'm in the parking lot and they were like we you know we can't take any more people today we've got too many already hmm. so just to do the test you know so i just remember wow. like Driving was hard. I was so tired and mm -hmm. I remember just like waiting for them on, I was like on hold with the clinic or whatever with like my head against the steering wheel, <laughs> just, just like hating everything a little bit sweaty. Uh -huh. Um, but I had, yeah, I'd taken my temperature the day before that and I took it the day after that cause I finally got into the clinic the next day and I didn't have a fever either of those times, but I bet that on that, on that worst first day, I probably had a fever is my uh -huh. guess. But I was tired and weak for two or three weeks, I want to uh -huh. say. Like, winded, just going upstairs or even moving across the backyard, you know. Like, everything was 
everything was really hard and I was trying to like pack up my car so I could leave and that was hard because mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah moving too much in general wait when did you do the drive were you still sick I was hoping to get home in early November so that whole experience was actually weird too because I wanted to based on the last election the last presidential election I was like the best thing that's going to happen is if I I need to get home to Texas in time to vote and then just wall up in my apartment and not speak to anybody for two weeks <laughs> because the because I just have really I've just got really strong feelings about the election you know so I was like I just don't want to talk to anybody. <laughs> no matter what happens, probably, I don't want to talk to anybody. Um, but um, but I got sick instead, so I couldn't really drive home. And it just seemed like a, it seemed like a bad move to drive home. Yeah. Um, so I, <laughs> I was, like, in this tiny house for the entirety of when they were counting the votes and everything... Um, completely alone with nothing to do but keep on like pressing refresh on my computer it was it was hellish I think Um, we were all doing that yeah I think so except some people had jobs yeah (laughs) so or like people to talk to or something like that yeah Yeah, it's just it was so that was like uh anxiety inducing I guess and then um and then I I was driving home when they finally called the election um but yeah so I stayed I was sick in the tiny house for like 10 days and then I started driving home and the drive was by that point my exhaustion was fine as long as I was not moving very much so driving was fine it was just um, when I got home I slept for a really long time because just bringing my stuff inside (laughs) was hard Mm -hmm. but but yeah the drive was fine I've got a little van so I basically just pulled over and slept for like 12 hours a day or whatever and that was fine yeah, I've got a little uh, place to, like, lie flat in the back of the van, which was perfect. So, yeah, it, uh, that was weird. The um, <laughs> another thing, the another weird symptom that I had was um, I had, like, this burning pain in my, in not exactly in my hip sockets, but basically, like, I associate that part of my body with my ovaries, you know? It basically felt like my ovaries were on fire, and, mm-hmm. like... I could just imagine them like contorting and twisting and falling off and <laughs> and like my yeah the my like fertility was being destroyed or something. I was like I don't know why but my my ovaries feel like they're on fire and this is not like the only time that I'd ever felt anything close to that was um donating eggs. I got like ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome uh-huh. which kind of felt the same way, but this just like was pretty intense pain that made it to where I couldn't have I already told you about this no. I got like bad ovary pain <laughs> from the coronavirus uh do you know about like the lymph nodes in that part of the body no but I think there are some kind of in that area too so I wonder if it was like inflamed lymph nodes so I called I called I have uh teledoc with my insurance uh-huh. it's free and or like there's no charge for uh calling teledoc all the time which I did a lot when I had COVID. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was just like my, you know, my ovaries feel like they're on fire. And the, the doctor who was male was like, explain where on your body this is. And I was like, oh, it's right here. And he said like, that's your hips. You have hip pain. 
And I was like, this is not my, this is not just like hip pain, motherfucker. <laughs> like, like I basically know where my ovaries are and this feels like it's my ovaries. Um, okay. and, and he was unhelpful. Um, but then I called them again later. I, I like hung up. I sobbed because I was in, I was just like, I was in so much pain that I was not, I basically couldn't deal with anything. Um, mm-hmm. and, and then I, uh, called a, a different teledoc or whatever. And it was a woman and I explained it and she was like, well, this is so, and then she asked a lot more questions, you know, about mm-hmm. everything and, and didn't just like dismiss it as some sort of like muscular issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a, basically, I think that coronavirus in general, a lot of the inflammation causes fluid retention and like, that's why people have heart issues because of fluid buildup around your heart. Um, mm-hmm. it might be why people have lung issues because of fluid buildup around your lungs making you like short of breath and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had had fluid buildup. What she presumed was that I had fluid buildup in my pericolic gutter, um, which is like, you know, some kind of, <laughs> some kind of like fluid, a place that fluid can build up, like, I guess in your lower abdomen area. Okay. Um, and the, that was, uh, that was squeezing my ovaries or that was also where I'd gotten fluid buildup when I had ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome. And that's why I associated it with Hmm. my ovaries or whatever. Mm -hmm. So that was helpful. Also, it got worse when I would drink water or eat food or basically like Hmm. hydrate it all. Hmm. Um, which, you know, also made sense as it being fluid buildup. Mm -hmm. Um, it got, when I had, I would basically have to have like an ibuprofen, or else I was in so much pain that I couldn't think. (laughs) So, yeah, so, like, I, yeah, so I would have ibuprofen, and then it would be better, but for a few days, I didn't have ibuprofen because I was, you know, I was confined to this tiny house, and, Mm -hmm. um, and Kate and, Katie and Adam were out of town, but finally, like, they got home and asked me if I needed anything, and, um, I said I just <laughs> desperately needed some kind of anti-inflammatory, and they got me ibuprofen. That was a game changer. Mm-hmm. But before that, the only way that I could sleep was if I... <laughs> I was so happy to be in a tiny house, because the only way that I could sleep in any sort of comfort was to be lying face down with my legs spread apart as far <laughs> as I could possibly go. <laughs> some kind of like a starfish bearskin rug. <laughs> <laughs> it was a really I was just like really hopeful that nobody like you know came Locked in. came around yeah it's just a really like it was an uncomfortable you know it was it was like a hip stretch for sure and uncomfortable but it also just like looked really vulnerable <laughs> so so yeah um, but yeah when Katie and Adam came back into town they were in their house again they would call me every day and, and check in on me and make sure I was doing okay. And they'd bring me, um, warm food that they'd made out of wild game that they shot. They uh-huh. like brought me pheasant stew, which was amazing. Uh-huh. And like venison. Uh-huh. And yeah, it was great. It was just really nice. It was basically the most perfect setup to be healing from, um, from <laughs> such an illness, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, um, have people been treating you differently or anything? Do you think, like, people knowing that you've had it? I mean, I don't know how many people you've really been interacting with. Yeah, and I, I haven't been interacting with too many people, but at the same time, like, I feel like the best way to get through 
any of this is to um, to treat people the way that they want to be treated about it and to like respect people's boundaries as far as that goes so like some you know some people have said like well uh, you know I, I have run into people who are just like oh I am not worried and I was never worried or whatever but I you know I would still defer to the most cautious person in any group basically like mm -hmm. if somebody wants me to wear a mask all the time I'll still wear a mask all the time if somebody wants me to uh, to wear a mask stay six feet away from them and stay outside <laughs> if I ever interact with them I'll do that you know I, I don't want to make it a big deal and like you know for um, I still feel like I am trying to be cautious just because of the varied strains and um, and like I you know I've looked up a lot of stuff about whether or not I'm like actually immune now but allegedly there the jury is still out on whether or not just because I can't get it again doesn't mean that I can't Spread like it. well like I carry it or something yeah basically so so supposedly in like 99.999% of cases or whatever there is no more viral shedding after the first seven days like you can still test positive for COVID and I did test positive for COVID like two weeks after I got it, I got another test and it came back positive and everybody in my, uh, you know, Zachary, my housemate freaked out and Meredith freaked out. Like nobody, basically nobody wanted me around them still, um, after testing positive for it again. Mm -hmm. And yet like every medical professional who I spoke to said, even if you test positive again, it's because they're detecting antibodies or whatever. It's not because you are actually still contagious. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and like a lot of people will test positive for months, you know, and yet they're only contagious for, they kept on saying like two weeks or 10 days or something like that. But, um, I saw like a, a metadata study that said that you're pretty much only contagious for seven days hmm. and, and like 10 days is, you know, is a good buffer for that, but you're not contagious for a very long time. Hmm. So, um. So yeah, but there is still like, basically, I guess the jury is still kind of out on whether or not, even at this point, like I, if I come into contact with somebody with coronavirus, um, and you know, inhale enough of their, uh, germs or whatever, then I could wind up, even though my body can take care of it to where I wouldn't feel anything, I could still be like, a. uh, an asymptomatic carrier just for like a little bit until my body stopped being able to do anything. But I, I feel like that is such a, it's so improbable <laughs> that, that that would happen. Mm -hmm. Like it's hard for me to, cause I feel like then they would say like, you can get it again. You'll just be an asymptomatic carrier. Like if that's the case, mm -hmm. you know? So I, I feel like that's really improbable, but at the same time, like I'm currently living with somebody who doesn't want me to, um, to, you know, to just act like I'm immortal now. <laughs> yeah. So, so like, I want to respect that. And, um, and then my sister who lives in town, um, you know, I go to her house a lot and she doesn't want me to act like I'm immortal now either. So, um, so I respect that when I go to her house, I, I wear a mask when I'm inside and, um, and when I'm at my own house, I don't. <laughs> thank goodness because I mean and the masks don't bother me but I don't want to have to wear one in my own house and I 
-hmm. And I want my housemate to also feel safe in his own house, you know, so. Right. Yeah, so I am just doing what I can as far as that goes. But yeah, I feel like I get treated differently by different people. Every once in a while, my sister will still remind me like, like, well, you know, you, you did this to yourself and you must have done something unsafe enough to where you caught the virus. So it's kind of not shaming, my fault. That, yeah, exactly. <laughs> as only older sisters can do. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, I, I feel like a lot of people were also like, I mean, I, I had apologized profusely to Adam and Katie when I was over there because they started getting symptoms after I was. Mm -hmm. and I was just like, I'm so sorry that I brought this to you. And they were like, we don't know who got it first. You know, it could have it, it basically like, yeah, just kind of like ripped through the work area that I had been in. Mm -hmm. And they were like, we don't know. You know, it, I was like, I am so sorry. I can't believe this. And they were like, it could have been you, but it, honestly, like, it's everywhere right now. And a lot of people at work, their significant others had had it. So, honestly, anyone out that place could have been, like, a, a, you know, an asymptomatic carrier or whatever. And we all could have gotten it from them instead of, you know, just from me or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Um, so it's hard to say, but I, you know, I am really grateful for the people who did not just like act like I was a leper <laughs> after yeah. that. But at the same time, like the people who did, I totally see where they're coming from. And they, you know, a lot of folks have been trying everything they can to protect themselves. And so it's really, you know, they don't have to have any empathy for people who are not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, do you think you're going to get the vaccine if it's available? Yeah. 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 Have you heard about like the the mechanism of the vaccine? It's a RNA. It's mRNA. mRNA. Yeah. yeah, for like this Honestly, I haven't done much research. I haven't that. either. I just saw <laughs> I just saw something on Twitter, so I feel like that's you know, not necessarily <laughs> the, the most valid. Yeah. Yeah. But but from what I understand, the vaccine is um, a protein that's on the outside of the coronavirus. Like there's a protein on the outside of the coronavirus that is the shittiest protein on it that causes the most like shittiness in your body and mm -hmm. like the worst reaction in your body. Mm -hmm. And that's, so the vaccine is the MRNA for that protein specifically. So they inject that into you, you, the mRNA starts to, like, your body reads that mRNA, starts making that protein, mm -hmm. and then it's just like, what the hell is this? And <laughs> destroys that protein and learns how to destroy that protein or whatever. Okay. And then the, um, and but it's not, like, part of a virus, you know? So it, it can't replicate by itself. It's just, like, the chunks of mRNA, and those okay. go away. Uh -huh. So you, there's no way that you get enough of that protein to, like, get really, really sick. You uh -huh. just, you know, your body makes a little bit, uh, and then it's just like, what the fuck have we done? And destroys it. Uh -huh. And then remembers, like, we're going to kick the ass of that protein anytime that we see it, you know? Uh -huh. And and because that protein is, like, the part of COVID that is most... Um, that just wreaks the most havoc on your body, basically, if the virus decides to morph into something else that doesn't like if the virus tries to morph into something that the vaccine can't deal with then it would have to change that protein to something else okay. and then it would thus be less deadly anyways 
that makes potentially. sense. Potentially. Yeah, I mean, I guess it could make a, a bigger deadlier protein or something. <laughs> right. that, yeah, but basically. <laughs> but hopefully, hopefully it goes the other Like, way. it was good for them that they targeted, like, the, you know, the shittiest protein on the outside of the virus or whatever. Okay, interesting. But, yeah, I, um, I like that it was kind of like a. It was kind of like a drunk history, like, explanation. <laughs> <laughs> Calling it, like, the shitty protein. And I... <laughs> I, uh, the, the Twitter thing that I saw had, like, implied that your cells are just like, what is this? And it's just the mRNA, which is, like, a blueprint. And they're like, well, I guess we should make this. And then they make it, and then they're just like, what the hell is this? <laughs> so, yeah. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I think that at first I was, like, kind of anxious about the vaccine because it just seems so like i rushed. believe in vaccines but the fact that it's so rushed right now yeah. like people are not necessarily thinking super clearly about it the same way that you know that like when you get out of a relationship then you might immediately start dating someone else just because you're so lonely and not because you actually like them <laughs> yeah so, so it seemed similar to that where i was like people need to take a step back and and think about all this but honestly like i get it i get why I get why they feel the need to rush it, and um, and I think that uh, it just has the capacity to be doing a lot of good yesterday. <laughs> so, so yeah, I'll, I'll get it as soon as it's available to me. I mean, I think I would have felt iffy if I were, like, one of the very first people ever to get it, but... Yeah. Yeah, I, I kind of feel the same way. I think, um, you know, we'll see. I don't... There's no way to know long-term effects, I guess, of it, but we'll see if there are any short-term effects from all the people who are getting it, you know, yeah. now, so, yeah. um, and hopefully there's none, you know, I'm hoping yeah. that it's just all good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and hopefully, I mean, yeah, I'd, I'd like to think that, um, that they know what they're doing with all of that, but, but we'll see, but yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm excited about it. I'm interested in getting it. I wonder how uh, effective it's going to be once everybody has it, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you know how to even, like, get on a list for it? No. Is it a thing? I don't know. I just know, like, all, you know, healthcare workers and it's starting to hit retirement communities, I guess. That's what I've heard. That's all I've really heard, so. Like, are the rest of us just supposed to, like, wait around for somebody to serve it to us? (laughs) Yeah, I guess. I mean, like, I'm... I don't know how much and how quickly they're going to be able to make, you know, to provide for for everyone. Um, but yeah, we'll just have to see, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, do you have anything else that you want to share about the coronavirus uh, experience? So yeah, so one of the other symptoms for me was heart pain, and that was like the ovary thing was the most painful part. The the most like prolonged kind of not fun part was just being tired but I got like like weird heart pain um from it that was maybe the most troubling and then I had I had like a horrible cough I was coughing like um it felt like I was in a soap opera and I was supposed to play somebody who was dying (laughs) (laughs) just like lying on the floor coughing I felt like I was gonna cough up blood or something but and it felt melodramatic you know just like (laughs) but uh but like you know in spite of that I could breathe at all times I didn't feel like I was gonna die the heart stuff is just like your heart shouldn't be making any it shouldn't be feeling weird you know um not and and this felt like not unlike 
unlike any other sort of like weird heart pain that I've had before, um, to where sometimes it would just be racing and sometimes it'd be aching as if somebody was sitting on my chest. Um, and sometimes I'd get like shooting pain. Um, and I think it was probably from like fluid buildup, but it, you can also get like scar tissue on your heart from coronavirus too. Oh really? Yeah. So, and apparently that affects like one in four people who get COVID, even if they have no other symptoms, wow. they can still get scar tissue on your heart. Yeah. So I think, I just feel like it's important to be aware of that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and because of that, like. I have seen that you're discouraged from doing much physical activity for months after you feel better. Hmm. Um, and like I talked to a lot of doctors and I wound up getting an EKG because it was just, I was just like, I just want to know what's going on. You know, is that during or after you got the EKG? While you were sick or after you were sick? Um, I got the EKG in late November. So by then, most of my symptoms were gone. Pretty Mm -hmm. much all my symptoms were gone, but I was still, like, getting weird. Like, you know, every couple days I'd be fine, and then every couple days I'd have, like, a weird heart thing. Oh, really? Yeah. So so I got an EKG just to see if I had, like, an arrhythmia or something, just to make sure that everything was firing. Because it just seemed like, you know, and even talking to them, they were like, well... You could get like an ultrasound to see if you've got fluid buildup around your heart. Um, or you could, um, you know, take a bunch of blood tests to see what's going on or whatever. But an EKG was an easy thing for me to just walk into an urgent care place and have them do, um, that was not going to just break my bank cause I don't have very good insurance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. And so then when I got that and I, um, I also, a doctor listened to, like my carotid artery with a stethoscope and said that things sounded fine and um and that my yeah the EKG looked normal which was good mm-hmm. um and I started running again and like I was I uh, the best advice that a doctor told me was like you know give it some time but then exercise at least a little bit and if it starts hurting then just stop <laughs> like if you're running and your heart starts hurting stop running yeah. <laughs> so um, so yeah, that's, you know, that's basically been what I've been doing. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, that's, I think that's it about coronavirus really for me. Okay. Um, well, what do you think? We're about an hour in. Do you want to keep talking about other stuff or? Sure. If you want to. Okay. Uh, let's take a little break and then we can talk about some other stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, this is kind of related to the coronavirus I wanted to ask about uh your love languages so is <laughs> I love that that's somehow related to the coronavirus yeah um, the last great. time well so like what I really like the idea of the love languages thing and I think that it helps to make relationships better but I also feel like when when I have been in a relationship and even the people who I know who have uh, taken it when they've been in relationships, the love languages that they wind up getting as, as their love languages are actually just what they feel like they're not getting enough of in said relationship or like what they, the expression of love that they feel like they don't get as much in their current relationship. Yeah. Yeah. So like, you know, my sister's is acts of service and, you know, maybe that's because, uh, you know, I feel like it's not because she doesn't love 
cuddling and words of affirmation or whatever, but those are the things that she would get more often from her husband. Um, so the last time that I actually took that quiz, I got um, a tie, a three-way tie between words of affirmation, quality time, and um, and physical touch. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> like a three-way tie. And then like gifts was the very lowest, because um, I just didn't care about gifts at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I guess I kind of still don't too much, but, um, and then acts of service was the next because I was dating someone who was really good at like doing chores and like keeping, you know, taking care of the house and stuff, but he was not good at showing me any affection whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So it, yeah, I feel like that was. Okay. So now this ties to coronavirus. Uh, so Mine are quality time and then physical touch. Mm. And I'm just wondering, like, I just kind of want to talk a little bit about your opinion on, like, what you think the future is like regarding physical touch. That, yes. <laughs> because, like, um, I want to say America is already kind of fucked pre-coronavirus with, like, physical touch. Like, we, compared to other cultures and stuff, uh, we don't touch each other that much or like we're uncomfortable just going for a hug or, you know, touching someone's shoulder or whatever. Um, and I think that it's actually a really strong way for people to connect and like show affection towards each other. And I think, you know, animals do it and all this Mm -hmm. stuff. And we're, we've gotten to this point in the U S where we're like, uh, so uncomfortable and we don't want to make other people uncomfortable with touch so we kind of just like i feel like i've already stopped doing it and now we're like oh let me stand six feet yeah like i am totally out of the habit like we didn't hug each other you know when i saw you today yeah (laughs) and i'm like totally out of the habit of of hugging people and i am out of the habit of i mean even when i have seen it's weird watching movies and stuff now and seeing like People who are clearly not in each other's pods hugging. <laughs> yeah. Or going out to, like, restaurants or yeah. supermarkets and they're not wearing masks. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, so I do feel like probably... Um, I, I don't know because I'm not an anthropologist or anything. Um, and a lot of what I project about the future is based on my own idea of what is rational. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like probably people who are um, maybe more hypochondriacs or more concerned about germs or something are going to feel more justified now in not hugging strangers and not wanting to be touched. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like to think that everyone else is kind of going to go back to normal maybe. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I I barely remember how that felt to like be okay with with like you know touching a stranger's shoulder or something if I was if I had a question for them or wanted to tell them something and mm-hmm. um yeah I feel like uh I feel like my approach is different but at the same time like you know some of that also I feel like the you know maybe this is a totally different can of worms but you know the me too movement also kind of changed the way that I interact with strangers too yeah i mean yeah i mean when i said touch somebody's shoulder I feel like you can kind of do that with, like, somebody of your same sex now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it seems, uh, 
it seems like if a guy were to do that to a girl or a it can man just to be like super loaded and icky yeah yeah um so yeah i don't know it's it's weird I don't know exactly where I was going with that, except that I think, like, I kind of think that touch is, it's kind of beautiful. Like, I, I don't know, and, and I'm, I'm one of those people that, like, I'm super bad about touching other people because I don't want to make them uncomfortable. Um, but when somebody touches me on the shoulder or whatever, like, it kind of feels just good you know like <laughs> it feels like they're subconsciously telling you that you're not disgusting you yeah know? <laughs> and that's huge like yeah. i yeah um so i don't know it's just it just i just wonder what you know the future looks like with touch uh hopefully you know if a vaccine and happens and i'll you know everyone's vaccinated and there's no big risk of spreading this virus in the future you know we can kind of go back to like friendly non-creepy touch <laughs> do you think that there could be some kind of like version of a big pandemic that would just like inspire a lot more physical touch <laughs> between like healthy uh non-creepy physical touch between strangers <laughs> there's a version of a virus that touch pre prevents the virus basically sure so you'd have to th it would have to be something like that yeah so, like, um, it probably would have to do, like, your skin, uh, microbes, like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like your flora, the flora of microbes on your skin, mm -hmm. uh, prevents, like, or certain cocktails of, of, uh, flora prevent a virus, but the best way to spread it is just to, like, just give people a little, <laughs> but little it has to but it has to be sweet instead of just like <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it has to be with love as opposed to just like running by people and just like brushing your hands on everybody <laughs> yeah i was imagining like this guy who's like uh in an underground like fighting uh ring and he's like saving people's lives <laughs> by bashing their faces so <laughs> all right so maybe maybe it would be this then like the sort of like endorphins or whatever that are or is oxytocin or something that's released by being cuddly with people like what if that was a way to um like what if that was kind of an immune booster okay so then you sense. just got used to being really physically affectionate with random strangers because you knew that it was helping to boost their immune system mm -hmm. i like that <laughs> but I... somebody's probably working on that virus in the lab right now Cute. <laughs> yeah and i so when i got covid that was another thing from f for about three weeks like the last person who touched me was the nurse who diagnosed me with covid mm -hmm. and she she by touched me i mean she stuck something up my nose <laughs> and she and she, she checked my pulse cotton <laughs> yeah and she touched your pulse she, with gloves she, on or? yeah i think she checked my pulse i think she had gloves on i don't remember but basically like that was all that i got for human touch for three weeks mm -hmm. but that and that used to drive me crazy i used to be really really touch oriented and i think that honestly i have become less so partially because of how much trouble that got me into of people like reading into my being physically affectionate with them too mm -hmm. much mm -hmm. to where I was just like I don't want to 
I don't want to be cuddly with people because then they think I'm coming on to them and it's either creepy or then, or they feel like they can then come on to me, you know? So I would just like, well, I think that's, that comes back to like Americans being touched deprived. And then when there's someone who is kind of touchy feely, like mm-hmm, then they it re- feels, it feels good. And you're like, wow. Uh, yeah, they must really like me because nobody else does this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. But at the same time, it's interesting. Like, I do feel like, you know, I remember something that I really miss, um, and I haven't seen this for years. This is not just the pandemic or whatever, but yoga studios that I used to go to would have, mm-hmm. like, at the end of the session when you're all lying down, mm-hmm. the teacher would show up and like either make or make corrections or adjustments or whatever on your mm-hmm. body while you were in certain poses, mm-hmm. um, like touching your lower back when you were in downward dog and just like pushing on it a little bit. Mm-hmm. But also at the very end of the class would come up and like push on the center of your forehead and, and even like on your chest a little bit, you know, Oh my God, that just felt amazing. Yeah. And it was when like, you know, being single and not being used to t- people touching me at all. And also, like kind of hating myself and feeling disgusting. I remember like those yoga sessions were just an amazing way for me to not feel disgusting. I was like somebody like, you know, this, this yoga teacher is going out of their way to like honor my physical body, you Mm -hmm. know, and that just felt like salvation. Mm -hmm. No, I actually, I have a yoga teacher who she, um, would put oils on her hands after the session and then she'd rub her hands on the back of everybody's neck mm-hmm. and it was so incredible and she would like you know she'd blend different oils yeah and you could like kind of pick it up and be like oh it's like peppermint yeah. lavender today you know and Aww. and it was just and she's going one person after the other so like You're... you know potentially like uh all those microbes <laughs> yeah i mean you know, potentially the oils are antimicrobial, but also I think it's kind of beautiful that she's like spreading, uh, yeah, just like taking the energy and everything from each person. And yeah, I mean, like I, I'm one of those people who I, I think diversity and biodiversity is like the most incredible thing ever. And so I want like, I want the ecology on my skin and like in my gut to be, to as, be diverse as diverse as possible. As possible. That totally makes sense. <laughs> and and I I don't know if that you know like I said if the oils are antimicrobial or not, but like mm-hmm. in the instance that they aren't, I think it's so cool that like she's just coming around and sharing everybody's you know and microbes. To have gotten to experience a world where that was like a perfectly okay thing to do in a room yeah. <laughs> with a bunch of people seems like. Yeah, that seems like a fantasy world now. (laughs) But even then, like, I haven't been to, um, I feel like for the last, like, three years, I've been trying to find a yoga studio where the teacher will do that, and I just can't, I haven't found any in Austin because a lot of people are not comfortable being touched. Well, she had a thing, and I was like, if you... Yeah, raise your hand if you... Yeah, or, like, place a hand on your chest or something if you don't want to have the oils on your neck. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I don't know, that's great. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I wish that, I feel like that's the easy solution is just to ask before the class or whatever, like, do you not want any hands-on adjustment? Because some of us like that, 
you know, that was the big difference between me doing yoga on YouTube and me actually going into a place was mm -hmm. actually getting hands-on adjustment. Otherwise, I could just do yoga at home, you know. Right. So, yeah, and, yeah, it's I've been sad to not have that as much. Um, yeah. But that being said, like, yeah, going without any human touch, I have just gone so long without being used to being touched by people in general, not just with coronavirus, but, like, just from years of being single, basically, that I don't care anymore. <laughs> and, and it doesn't make me sad. I One of my friends who got uh, a positive coronavirus was like, I haven't hugged anybody in two days, and I'm going crazy. Mm -hmm. And and I, you know, that didn't happen to me. I was fine. <laughs> um, okay. Do you have anything else to say about that? Um, no. Okay. You had a question for me, right? I do have a question for you. Okay. So, yeah. in this, um, in this kind of new... I feel like, you, you know, you've been going through a lot of your own sort of, uh, like, kind of rediscovery of self and, and like, you know, changing the way that you interact with the world lately um, compared to how you were doing things before. Um, and I was wondering why you still don't have Facebook. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I just don't care about Facebook, I guess. I feel like Facebook has, I mean, you know, right now maybe things don't necessarily, but I think things still kind of do matter. Except that, like, if you've got a good network on Instagram and stuff, then I guess that that's important too. But Facebook has, like, events that you can respond to, you know, like uh -huh. to be able to be kept in the loop about parties and stuff. I have a lot of groups on there that are, you know, like River Friends. Um, yeah. To where I can, you know, I've we've got a, a West Texas New Year's group on there. And, and like, you know, I'm fine, you know, just remembering that you're not on there and keeping <laughs> updated, but I feel like there's a lot of aspects about Facebook that, um, that seem like they're really handy. But if you don't care, then I feel like that's kind of how I feel about, uh, Instagram. And I'm like, I don't care and I don't want to care because if I care that I'm going to have to expend energy on it and I just don't have any. <laughs> I think we're in the same, I think the way you think about Instagram is the way I think about Facebook. Mm-hmm. I just, it's not where I want to pour my time and energy yeah, into. I, yeah. My reason, I guess, for liking Instagram is originally because I liked, I was basically a, a nature account. Mm -hmm. It was not about me at all. Um, and I didn't want to see, I made a post, you know, it's like, I didn't want to see people. <laughs> yeah. I, I followed other nature accounts. Yeah, and you'd get annoyed when they... <laughs> and I'd get annoyed if they shared a picture of themselves or like, a picture of their baby or whatever mm -hmm. and it's like I don't want to see that I followed you because I thought you were a nature account do you like pictures <laughs> of babies now though uh yeah I actually do like I <laughs> I like whatever makes people happy and I I feel yeah. like I just scroll through my entire feed and I just like everything whenever I'm on it like I'm just like <laughs> that's so wonderful I'm like oh there's like a couple posing with her dog in front of her Christmas tree I like that you know, I'm like, I just, I'm going through and I'm like, I like everything right now. That's magic. Um, um, but yeah, I, it's weird to me. I know that babies, like pictures of babies are maybe a little bit niche for some folks, but, um, but I love baby pictures. Yeah. I mean, I, I used to, there was a time when I had Facebook and there was, um, a Google You just alerted Google on your phone. <laughs> I found a few shelters near you. 
Thanks. Uh, <laughs> a Google what did you ask? What did you say? You, she oh. found some shelters. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, it's a filter. Um, and it was called <laughs> Unbaby Me. And it would turn... Oh it would turn all uh, like baby photos into like dog or cat photos or something. Oh you know? uh, so so anything oh on Google, I think, or definitely on Facebook. Like if it was somehow picked up that it was a baby photo, it would just be switched to like a dog a dog photo. That's really sad. It was awesome. I wish that at there the time the reverse like, where it could just turn dog and cat photos into more babies. I bet there is. <laughs> That'd be really fun. <laughs> um but yeah uh yeah i don't know i feel like um those things that you're talking about like the events and all that Mm -hmm. like i just have to communicate with people there's there's one thing where recently where i was like damn this kind of sucks uh i lost my stick clip my climbing (gasps) stick clip your namesake (laughs) at uh, rhymer's ranch and I had to get Casey, my friend, uh, who's been on the mm-hmm. podcast, I had to get her to message on the Austin Climbers Facebook page to see if anybody had it. Did you find it? Nah, no. Nah. Shoot. But it's all right. Yeah, and the, I mean, those things are handy. I feel like that's, I mean, I guess you probably have other, like, mountain project or something as a way to find other climbers. I don't use it for that, but, mm-hmm. well, yeah. You've, you've got your own Chris Garza ways of finding, <laughs> making friends and stuff. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I feel like, you know, even if you didn't want to be an active poster, which I don't blame you, it, to just have an account on there would be handy. I mean, that's what I have on Instagram right now. You know, I'm thinking about trying to actually put things on Instagram, but... You know what I miss? And it's very narcissistic. But I miss pictures of me from, like, college and stuff that are all just, I guess, gone when I deleted my Facebook account. Because... I remember the last time that I deleted it, it was like, this isn't just a deactivation, we're going to delete, delete. mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, I don't really give a fuck. And I did it. And then like a year or two later, I'm like, man, I really wish I had some pictures of me with long (laughs) hair and like, I don't know, just some of those old pictures. I don't have very many of them, but I do have like, there's, I have like four or five albums of us in, um, on the ecology road trip and, uh, uh, in, uh, Minnesota. Yeah, I'm thinking, like, freshman year of college, like, where when I had long hair, I would, really would like to find I, some of those pictures, but... I don't think I met you when you had long hair. How long was it? It was, like, uh, below my shoulders. Hmm. Um, but, why, yeah. Why did you cut it? Um, I think to be wider for Halloween. <laughs> I feel like, uh, I was, so were you always, like, kind of cowboyish? Uh, I think I, no, I wasn't. I got into Westerns in high school, probably like late high school. I feel like that counts as basically always being kind of cowboyish. But before that I wasn't. (laughs) Okay, but I feel like when I met you, I didn't, like I did not associate you with uh, cowboy aesthetic when I met you at all and yet you're you keep talking about like you cut your hair to be Wyatt Earp and when you (laughs) applied to Amy's ice cream which like that's kind of a standard hipster place to work or whatever your application was still about John Wayne and Clint Eastwood it's just it's just interesting to me that you've always had a little bit of the the cowboy so wait what was it in high school that 
It's my dad, actually. Really? Yeah. My dad got me into westerns. Huh. Do you remember what specific westerns? Um, I really liked, um, like the spaghetti westerns. The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly? Yeah, the Clint Eastwood, you know, classic spaghetti westerns. And, um, you know, I actually watched the John Wayne ones, but I never really liked them that much. Um, it was, I was, I think it started out as like a Clint Eastwood kind of guy, but less so. You know, my favorite one, have I, have I ever told you? No. My name is Nobody. It's a comedy. Oh. And it's, it's so good. So, anyone out there <laughs> listening, check out My Name is Nobody. It's actually a comedy. Uh, it sounds a like a joke. <laughs> spaghetti Western. Oh. Yeah, like the starting joke is like, uh, this character played by Henry Fonda is like this incredibly fast like gunslinger, right? And he shoots these three guys, but they only heard one shot, you know? Hmm. It's mm-hmm. like he shot three bullets so fast that it sounded like <laughs> one shot. Uh, and then the kid says to his dad, he's like, wow, is anybody faster than him on the like on a gun and he's like faster than him nobody and uh and then it shows nobody <laughs> this character who kind of refers to himself as nobody um uh, and he's like i said like faster on the draw than anyone you know that that's like a joke from the odyssey right well so nobody i feel like it's kind of a reoccurring thing and and i don't know i feel like it's come up in multiple ways in my life uh, <laughs> you know Everett Roos? No, is that a person who plays music? <laughs> no, Everett Roos is... Did you read Into the Wild? Yeah. He's... One of the chapters in Into the Wild is about this kid uh, in the 30s who was an artist, and he disappeared in the Southwest. Was that the guy with the donkeys? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. And um, he used to... do like graffiti or you know like vandalism back then (laughs) in canyons and stuff and he would he would carve uh Nemo and then whatever year I guess it was that he was carving that and I guess he's done it a few places I'm not sure Mm. but in the Grand Staircase Escalante National Monument. Did you see it? No I wanted to find it but I don't know exactly where it is. I don't know. I think they might kind of keep it a secret. Um, but anyway, Nemo means nobody. Um, hmm. And then, I don't know. I guess I've gotten into Ram Dass oh, recently. Yeah. Yeah. And he's got, a, he's got a documentary that's about him called Becoming Nobody. Hmm. And I don't know. I feel like it's just kind of been this reoccurring... Uh, theme in my life yeah huh. <laughs> like maybe i just need to become nobody it's the appeal yeah because i i don't know hmm. in multiple ways uh i idolize nobody <laughs> you'll have to uh you'll have to get faster on your gunslinging yeah <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah i guess yeah i mean that's where everett roos got nemo from right it wasn't, oh, it was from um, Ovid, or uh, not Ovid, uh, The Odyssey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who wrote The Odyssey? Who, like, told The Odyssey? Uh, Homer. 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 That's what I was yeah, thinking too, but it was. <laughs> yeah. Ovid wrote The Metamorphoses. Um, 
but or metamorphosis or metamorphoses i don't remember anyway kafka isn't it <laughs> no that's kafka wrote yeah the, the, the other one about the yeah the cockroach <laughs> but, um but yeah um i wanted to say something about all of that i don't remember what Oh, did you hear that they found Forrest Fenn's treasure? Do you do you follow anything about that? Is that the um, buried treasure? <laughs> That's all I know about. Yeah, so basically this like wealthy art dealer um, who lives out in... Um, oh, God, this is such a long, crazy story. He lives out in uh, New Mexico, had like decided to put a, over a million dollars worth of like cool stuff like gold and jewels and artifacts and stuff he like sashed all this stuff in the rocky mountains somewhere and uh, published a poem that was supposed to have like hints in it about how to find the location mm -hmm. um and it's it's four verses and it you know and it's just like it's just a whatever sort of poem but it doesn't it's not specific enough for anything and people looked for that for 10 years and some people like died trying to find it and then finally this June somebody freaking found it mm -hmm. and um and then in September uh Forrest Fenn who was the one who put that treasure out there in September he finally died he was like 90 years old uh he died of old age I presume but um but yeah so he had like <laughs> stashed the thing when he was 80 years old and watched people like try to get it for 10 years and he kept on being like come on you know it's it's easy enough to where I can still get out there and back in a day, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, and yet so like he verified that this person did indeed find his treasure, you know, because a lot of people have faked that they found it or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and I think it was somewhere in Wyoming, um, and the guy who found it was like an English teacher or something, mm -hmm. which seems very cute. But but yeah, that's um, I was just reading about it yesterday. Nice. Yeah. Well, we're <laughs> we're getting to like an hour and a half. Do you okay. think you should just call it? I guess so. Do you sure. have anything else you want to talk about? I can I tell you the hookah story? Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you might remember this already, but basically, like, um, this is you know I know that you really like talking about relationships, and I really like talking about them too. Um, but I uh, I just haven't been in one in a really long time, and. I, uh, and I have been fine with that, but back in the day it used to bother me. Mm -hmm. And so I, so I was in, um, I was in New Mexico for work and, um, and I had just like somebody who I had been interested in, in, and had kind of like had a thing with for a while, had just gotten in like a real relationship and I, and meanwhile, I was in New Mexico by myself in a hotel room, and I was just like, oh, I'm just going to die alone. <laughs> and so <laughs> I feel like I got on, oh, I got on OkCupid, okay mm -hmm. which I, you know, I had been on before, but it had been a few years. Um, so I got on there, and I started looking at people, and I was like, I don't like any of these people. And then, um, and I was like, I, you know, I had met like one really cool person on there. Um, I'm just going to call him. Bart, okay, because <laughs> it's a dumb name, and he, but he was great, and I was just like, but, like, what about his profile had I, like, we had, you know, I met him, we had spent a lot of 
good time together and like gone road tripping and kayaking and climbing and stuff and he he was just really neat but I remember not knowing how cool he was based on his profile and I was like maybe if I look at his profile then I will get some sort of idea of um of you know what I should look for in other people's profiles to know that they are going to be as cool as Bart and I looked at his profile um because he still had it you know except that on his profile uh he had changed it a lot Mm -hmm. and almost all of the pictures that were on there I think like nine out of ten of the pictures that were on his profile were pictures that I had taken of him in the last, like, in the time that we had hung out, and I was just like, fuck, and so, and that made me sad, <laughs> it just, like, seemed kind of fucked up to, like, date somebody, and then, like, take all these adventure pictures that they'd taken of you, and use them to try to date other people, yeah, um, but, so I, I was salty about that, but anyways, then the next day, I was lonely again, and I got on Facebook, and there were, like, three, um, engagement announcements in a row of various friends who had just gotten engaged. And I was like, what am I doing wrong? Like, the, like, you know, these people are just, people are meeting people that they're happy with. And I'm in a hotel room by myself in New Mexico. Like, what am I doing? I need to, I need to do something about this. So I got on OkCupid again and I was looking around. I was like, well, I'm going to be in Austin next month. So I started looking in Austin and I found this guy who he had a lot of pictures of himself outside. Mm-hmm. I was like, he'll do, you know, he's, <laughs> he'll, at least he has pictures of himself outside, you know, that's good enough, whatever. And so I was like, but I don't want to be like, you know, when you're a woman looking for men on online dating, you basically don't have to do anything to impress anyone. Like, usually you can just like point blank ask them out and it's fine. But I was like, I want to put in a little bit more effort than that because it just seems rude <laughs> to just be like, hey, let's go get coffee sometime or whatever. Or like, do you want to go get coffee? So um, so I like looked at his profile and I thought of something to say and I messaged him or I like, I clicked the like message thing and the message, um, thing popped up, but he had actually just messaged me and his message to me had said like, Hey, do you like hookah? Which is perfect because do you remember this story? I'm sorry to remember it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's perfect because I do really like hookah. It's a perfect sort of first date. Um, he's clearly interested since he already messaged me and... Uh, it said that he was online right then, so I th- I assumed that he had just like in- had just messaged me that, um, so I was just like this is, like it is perfect and it's a perfect first date too because you're doing something, but you're not like getting wasted. You're doing something where you can still have a conversation with somebody, but you're not just drinking the whole time. Um, which I feel like when I drink on dates, then it keeps me from really being able to assess how cool, like, you know, how much I'm going to actually get along with somebody. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I was like, yeah, that's, that's perfect. Like hookah, I love hookah dates. So, so I just like responded like, yes, I do. And then I waited and, you know, he was still online, but he wasn't saying anything. And I checked some other things and came back a few minutes later and, <laughs> and I looked and then I checked the message again and I realized that he'd actually sent the message two years previous, like almost exactly two years before. Um, and I just hadn't, you know, been on OkCupid in a really long time. So, uh, so I was just like, fuck, but he was online. So I was like, whatever, you know, I can still, like, it's not too late. I don't know why he's been on OkCupid for two years, but I guess I have too. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. so then I, uh, I messaged him again. I was like, Hey, sorry, I didn't, um, I didn't see this, uh, until just now. I am just not on the site very much. Um, and then, and then I waited again. Cause I was like, surely, you know, he's, 
he's gonna just be like, oh, you know, I, you know, my question still stands or whatever, and maybe like, oh, I, because I know this cool little place in Austin that we could go smoke hookah and hang out, and, and I waited, and he still didn't say anything, and I checked the message again, and I realized that he hadn't actually sent that first message to me. I had actually sent that message to him asking if he liked hookah two years before. <laughs> and then, like, two years later, I just went ahead and answered my own question in front of him while he was online, not responding to either of them. <laughs> and I was just very embarrassed. Um, and but, <laughs> but the nice thing about that is then I realized, like, I just really like hookah. <laughs> and I haven't been, I haven't been sad or, like, I haven't been sad about the prospect of dying alone since then. Really? So, yeah. That taught you that? Uh, I don't know if that just, like, embarrassed the hell out of me or if other things happened around the same time or what, but, like, that was the last time that I, like, that seeing people's engagement announcements made me sad ever since then. I've been fine. Yeah. It's funny, like, I feel like I've done some things online that have gotten me really embarrassed. <laughs> and, like, I'll get, like, all flustered and red and stuff, and it's, like, it's just weird. And it's online. like, nobody, nobody else really probably cares that much. Online with online dating, or? I don't even remember. I just remember sometimes, like, getting all flustered. Because I feel like on social kinda... media, that shit stays there, and they'll follow you around. But with online dating, like, you're never going to talk to those people. Yeah. So it shouldn't matter. Yeah. But, yeah, that's a great story. I remembered it. Like, once, <laughs> <laughs> once you talked about the messaging thing, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember this story. <laughs> now, like, I, I told Zachary, and he laughed hysterically, and every, basically any time that I bring up hookah around certain people, they start laughing. Yeah. Because it's, so, I basically asked myself out. <laughs> and, like, it's of so course, good. like, you know, oh, what a great idea. I couldn't have said it better myself, because I was the one who said it. Yeah. That's so good. Um, how do you want to share your your photography stuff? Oh, so as far as like a plug at the end, um, what I actually wanted to plug is um, my friend is a tremendous musician that I think that people should listen to. Okay. Um, and the uh, her musician name I guess is Kai Vos. It's K Y. V-O-S-S and she's on Spotify and probably Apple Music and some other stuff she's got um, two at least two albums and they're just like really just super well written big hearted vulnerable uh, trippy uh, music she's she's just a phenomenal musician cool so you don't want to plug your own photography I mean you, <laughs> my <laughs> photography website is stirphotography.com stir like with a spoon, um, and I basically will take pictures of anything that you want me to take pictures of. Cool. I'll put a link uh, in the show <laughs> notes, too. Okay. Awesome. Well, thanks, Becca. Yeah. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening to the episode. Uh, stay tuned, because Becca's got uh, one of her original songs for the very end, and I love it. It's, it's such a good song. So be sure to stick around for that. But... Um, before we get to that, let's get into the general business. Um, I think I need a theme song for the general business, I'm deciding. Maybe maybe in 2021 there will be a theme song for the general business. <laughs> um, the way that this goes is I choose a charitable organization each month, and all the money from advertisements and from donations from listeners like you, um, it goes 
towards this charitable organization. I take half of the money that I get that month and donate it to the charitable organization. This month, I chose Climbing for Change, and basically they're interested in getting biracial, indigenous, and people of color uh, into climbing, whether it's through gaining them uh, certifications and, you know, whether it's like route setting or coaching, things like that. Um, They also provide uh, money for getting people into competitions that couldn't necessarily afford it or going on outdoors, outdoor adventures. Um, and so, you know, you can either donate money or the easiest way to help out is probably just to spread the word and tell the other people to listen because for each listen, I get a little money from the advertisement. So yeah, please help out in any way you can. And I appreciate it. And so do all these other organizations, I'm sure. So um yeah without further ado let's hear becca's song enjoy this is a song that i wrote called heaven is boring hell is the universe's best kept secret adventure vacation destination (laughs) so here it goes Hear of praising Jesus all day long and praising God all evening. When you wake up every day, you get right back to Him singing. Well, my church is in the mountains and it has no walls or preachers, and the ravens and the songbirds are my spiritual leaders. So I hope not to go to heaven, cause I doubt I would be joyous to be greeted by St. Peter and compelled to join a chorus. And I don't want to be an angel in such company I'd suffer, let my wings be these old sandals Let my halo be this sunburn Be the afterlife, a sermon, or a place Where everyone prays heaven's got nothing to offer That I don't skip every Sunday But this canyon has coffee And free will and bocce And bandicoots, bacon, and beer In its wondering grace, there is no such a place that can take the place of here. Well, a man once told me heaven is a place of wild dreams with beautiful valleys and glittering streams. Oh, I listened for a minute, but I said to him, you know, I think somehow you got heaven confused with Idaho. Ain't no grave Gonna hold my body down You can keep your damn salvation I have found my hallowed ground Oh, I think I made my point It's time for me to bid farewell So I wish you all the best in life And hope to see you all in hell Where I bet they have coffee And free will and bocce And bandicoots, bacon and beer And it's warm all year round, I bet it's better than it sounds I am taking the scenic route there And I bet they have Dumbledore, John Prine, Tupac, Amy Winehouse, and Edward Abbey There is no place inclusiver than with Uncle Lucifer We'll all be in good company 